0: I can't wait to hear from you.
1: Therefore, my heart is on women because it is only women that I know that they give life.
2: And they say, but where will you serve God? Women don't serve God. Women are not called. Women cannot be leaders in the church. The loops that they have had to pass to be where they are is a miracle. And only who works miracles is God who works those miracles, no, not us.
0: The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Heidi Ho Podcast listeners, if you're new to the podcast, I want to welcome you. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here at the Living Church Podcast. It's the only one of its kind, really, created for pastors, teachers, and interested lay people in the Episcopal Church, Anglican Communion, and beyond. And it's meant to equip, encourage, and entertain you so that your calling in God's church feels a little easier, a little braver, a little more companioned. Today, we are kicking off the month of May, Mary's Month, with a trip to Kenya. Specifically, we're going to the office of Dr. Esther Mambo at St. Paul's University in Lamuru, where she hosted me, along with one of her dissertation advisees, for a conversation on women in ministry in Kenya and what their own journeys have looked like. And I found in our conversation, so many of the struggles that women have in ministry are in common across cultural contexts. We will talk about finding a call to church leadership and then taking the bold step of telling others that you've got a call and then finding training, going through discernment, finding mentors, money questions, job openings, all while wondering how to balance dating, friendships, marriage, and motherhood. We will also discover just how important grandmas really are. Yes, grandmas. Esther Mambo is associate professor in theology at St. Paul's University in Lemuru, Kenya, with a specialty in church history, theologies from women's perspectives, and interfaith relations. She works closely with the Program for Christian and Muslim Relations in Africa and is a member of the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. She has previously served on the Inter-Anglican Doctrinal and Theological Commission. Joining Esther is McKenna Jacqueline. McKenna is a doctoral student in the Department of Religious Studies at St. Paul's University in African Theology and Philosophy with a concentration on gender and theology. She also serves as a youth minister and mentor in the Methodist Church. Now buckle up for a ride down the very still unblazed pathway of women's discernment and ministry calling. As we will see, where God calls, he always shows the way. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Esther McKenna, thank you so much for joining me today. McKenna, where are you coming from?
1: I come from a region in Kenya called Meru. Meru is uh, the lower eastern part of Kenya, but I currently live in Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya.
0: And then, what do you hope to do when you graduate?
1: I hope to be a lecturer, a professor in gender and women's studies. That is my passion. So mm. that's what I- I am really working hard in my graduate school and also being mentored by Professor Essa, so that we can continue with her legacy. She's doing a great job in Kenya and internationally, actually.
0: I agree. I agree. I'm so looking forward to learning from you both today, and our listeners, too, are going to be learning a lot about what's going on in Kenya. But first, could you each briefly give me your story. How did you sense a call to your particular ministry of leadership and how did you get where you are now?
1: I I really wanted to know who God is because when I was growing up, there are so many things that I saw which did not reflect what I was being taught about God. I was taught about God who is all able, God who is all powerful, God who is the provider, but then, now growing up from my grandmother's place, and uh, I was wondering, why am I am I not living with my parents? and Other children have their own parents, and how is God equal? Like all able, why is not why, why is God not giving me an opportunity to live with my parents and have this privilege as other children? Then in my village, there's a child who died of cancer. We were children, and I chose my friend, and I was why did she die? We told that God punishes sinners, but then what sin did she commit? Mm. So I had these questions when I was a Sunday school kid and I found the teachers who were teaching me, they were not really explaining who God is to me because the realities that I had, my life realities, and what was taught about God, they were not aligning. And therefore now, when I was nine, my grandmother unfortunately died, and mm. my questions continued. Why is she dying? She's the only hope that I have. Why is God in all these? Does God even love me? Is God fair? So these questions continued through my teenage, and when I completed my high school, I really wanted to pursue something that would explain to me who God is and why is God so detached to the realities of the society and why is the church not teaching God sufficiently? Mm. For instance, the doctrine (laughs) of Trinity. I've never understood it till to date. Mm. I'm like, how is God three in one? I struggled with that when I was a kid. Theology isn't helping. I'm still struggling to understand who God is and that's what makes me pursue and also now my, my, my heart for humanity, taking care of God's creation also, is another thing that has made me to pursue what I, I do
0: till today. Thank you. Can I ask, too, how your calling into the area of gender studies came about for you?
1: Uh, for me, when I was growing up, the only person that I knew was my grandmother. I used to compare God to my grandmother. She was Mm -hmm. the only (laughs) hope that I had. She was the only God that I knew. And she was everything good to me. And when I see women suffering and people calling women names, not giving them opportunities, it makes me really sad because I could not be who I am today if my grandmother wasn't alive. So for me, if I'm asked who is God to me, I relate God to a mother. My grandmother was not only my grandmother, but my mother, my mentor. He was my everything. She was the perfect picture of who God is today. And I am in advocacy of women leadership, women empowerment, because I was brought up by a woman. And till to date, I work with Professor Esther after my grandmother died She's now my mother. She has educated me. She has seen to reach that I get opportunities. And therefore, my heart is on women because it is only women that I know that they give
3: life.
0: Mm. So God has provided you images of himself throughout your life that are female and that's shaped you so deeply. That's right. That's powerful. Thank you. Esther. What's your story? Mm-hmm. How did you come to a calling in leadership and gender and sexuality studies? And how did you get where you are? Like McKenna,
2: I was brought up by a grandmother. Mm-hmm. A grandmother who was the first in her community to break up with tradition and to go to what was then a mission center. Wow. And she learned to read and to write, this basic reading and, and writing. By the time she's bringing me up, she was one who visited the prisons and spoke God's word to the prisoners. Mm-hmm. And she was from the community of the religious side of friends, uh, Quakers who settled in her region because in Kenya, early those days, you never chose the denomination. The people who came to you are the ones that you joined. Right. And she's the one who taught me theology. She's the one who taught me about, about God. And she did this through her life and through the stories of the Bible and her actions, basically. So every Sunday, she visited a prison. And when she came back, she gave us stories of the prisoners and how sad it was to see women in prison, particularly in prisons for basic things. Some of the things were like fending for their children but then they are in prison because they've left their children they're looking for food for them. And those stories have a deep, deep, deep impact on me. It's like, what can I do so that I don't see, I don't hear these stories anymore? But secondly, her home was also a place where women who are violated reigned to. So if somebody had a violent husband or, or something, that they ran to her house, including her own daughters. And what she do, did was to give them a space to, to, to rest. And that exposed me to what is gender-based violence, although I couldn't name it that way. And so when I went to, to high school, of course, people preached to us, and we were, it was a Christian high school, and people talked about different ministries. And I remember feeling that I wanted to, to serve. Although I wanted to be a lawyer, but when I finished high school, I didn't get the grades that would put me into into law school. So I went into Ah. teaching. But I still had a passion that I needed to do something different. If I was going to teach, I wanted to teach adults. I did not want to teach high schools. And I was saying, I'll serve God. But at that time, I didn't know what serving God is like. I will serve God. And they say, But where will you serve God? Women don't serve God, women are not called. uh, uh, Women, cannot be leaders in the church. And I said, but my grandmother was a leader, although she was a leader of the women, yes, but they can't be leaders in the church. And my grandmother had taught me that there is that of God in everyone.
3: Mm.
2: But she still encouraged me to go to that place. And so she helped me to to understand it was not an easy space. When she says there are jackets, it's like, is a place for jostling, for power, for domination, and, and things like that. Like jackets, like men's jackets? jackets? Yeah. Men's jackets. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually referring to them being a place of men. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like she gave me both the skills to grow in the village as she exposed me to all the, the different facets of village life. And she also gave me skills. To go through theological school, because when I went to theological school, it wasn't the safest of the places, right? Uh, uh, but she had already like given me warnings and signs. So my first theologian was my grandmother. The person who confirmed my calling was my grandmother, the person who encouraged me to take up theological studies at the time, which was very difficult for women. it's her. So every time I came home, She was keen to hear, how is it going? And every challenge I faced at Theological College, whether it was through my college mates or faculty, I would share with her. Mm -hmm. But she helped me also to see that money was not everything. Position was not everything. And status Mm -hmm. was not everything. Mm -hmm. So for me, in designing my call, my grandmother was the one who accompanied me to the end. She was my confidant. She was basically like, "My God. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could write to her a letter, and she could write back, or she'd just wait and I'd go back, and we really talked. And she'd use the Bible references, and I'd say, "No, no, that image doesn't help." So later in life, when I get women theologians saying that theology is not what you, do, you get in a package theology is what you struggle, my grandmother had already shown me that that is what it is. So for me, the calling, that's how I felt that I was being led to that. But the person who helped me unfold a it, was my grandmother. And of course, after doing the basic theological training, I really struggled to find a place to work. I had grown up from a Quaker tradition, and that is the programmed Quakers. And then I was exposed to ecumenical, the ecumenical contexts. Okay. And then and, and for my grandmother, it was within the ecumenical context. Do they pray to God? Do they pray to God? Do they believe in mm-hmm. Jesus? Yeah, then you work in that space. It's that's where God is calling you to, to work. So she was always happy. That so long as they are praying to God, it is a space to work.
0: Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, your grandmother even had this ecumenical spirit about her. This is just extraordinary that the two of you have this in common that you both have these grandmothers who are very Mm -hmm. powerful in the Lord, who are these icons to you of God and of his ministry to you. How extraordinary. Mm -hmm. As you were both sharing your story, it brings to mind the second question for me which is that if an anglican or methodist woman in kenya feels a call to ministry what are the practical resources that she has where can she do her first discernment for example like does it take place in her local parish does is there a formal process in place for women what is a what is a current typical path for women or is there even a typical one at all right now.
2: I would say it's a complex space. It's complex because it has evolved. And I think for my time across the denominations, theology was not open for women, so it didn't matter which denomination that is, but well, that was the issue. Training spaces didn't have women. There were no role models.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: So one had to go through the processes that men went through, i.e. it is from your local church to the next level and to the next level, then to to the institution of training and back again to be examined and then to be seen whether you qualify. And I can use the example of my first women, female students. I went to teach in an institution and I had to, it was an all male institution. The first thing was to justify your calling because the assumption was you are not called. Correct?
0: And were men, Say, men asked to justify their calling or it was just the women who? Okay. It was okay. taken that they were called mm-hmm. because
2: they have not seen God calling women. So what are you coming in for? Mm mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And I, I, that I can say because I was there and, 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 of course, listening. So you went through the other uh, other ex, uh, interviews of great writing, of, of, of speaking. Of, and then you go now to the, 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 the highest level of these examiners. And these are senior clergy seated around. And, and, and I think the first one, there wasn't even a woman. And the questions were around, are you going to get married? Why? So, because it was assumptions that either you you either running away from marriage or you are coming to look for a man to marry. So it was both.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Did they have questions too about concerns about what would happen if you were yes. pregnant and raising a family? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you are married,
2: woman has, what, what about your husband? What about your children? Mm-hmm. So for a woman, it was around that. Either if you are married, there are these questions. If you are not married, it's even worse. Because if it is a a diocese, what if you marry somebody from another diocese? Because training for ministry is an investment. So why would we invest in you when you will then go away and serve in another place? So those sexist prejudices, knowingly or unknowingly, you found them within the interviews of design And of course, what that did to women is to fear that maybe I am not called.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So you begin, there is self-doubt and it is inflicted, right? You are taking a bold step because you have a feeling. But then when you come to the interviews, the interviews are not encouraging. They don't help you to design, but they increase your self-doubt. And
0: and I guess they would have also, I would think they would tempt you to feel like you are a liability that you are an extra risk that the diocese is taking. Oh,
2: yeah. And I can use that from the example of where I worked, how the fears around, are you going to tempt the men kind of language. Most of the training institutions during my time did not have specific spaces for women. Hmm. It was an all-male, mm-hmm. male space. So mm-hmm. they had to make room for women. So, for example, the two women that I passed through kin lived with me for a while before we got a room for them to see. So you are not a proper student. You are one of those. I don't know what what to call. So, but that has changed. It has changed over the years. But still, the calling of women, it's thought about twice. The questions that are being asked, the suspicion, the 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 stereotype of liability. So first of all, it's a local church or your congregation. But even from there, you are going to ask a clergyman to say that I am feeling cold. Of course, feeling cold, what is that? And then when you go to the examiners, examining chaplains, you find all men. What is that? The higher you go. So because the space is so uh, male-dominated, it is a real sweat for women to design. And and, and, and and to go forward and it is better but not the best mm-hmm. so at the theological school level I said why don't we theologically empower the people of God and I believed that theological education is for empowering the laity and, and 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 the and those mm-hmm. that go for, for for ordination and so I used that methodology to open up the space for more women to, to be theologically empowered. So they, they, they come and do theological education, and I can say that many of them who receive the theological education, then they can return and then be then go to the examiners and, and prove to them that they are actually called. And by that time, they even have a better language to, to state than when they were just from high school or from the house. So for me, in my journey, I decided to change the the system in order to allow more women to come in, not only among Anglicans but even among other churches. Because I was working in this ecumenical seminary, and I realized that women were not coming from no church, and I was like, "Why are they not coming?" And of course, for first it was that the systems they never allowed them. And then, secondly, it was the money mm-hmm. that if a man advanced. The man would continue with the parish work, he'll continue with his salary, he'll continue with his life doesn't change because he doesn't have to worry about his children because the wife is taking care of children, right. But for the woman who we'll take care of their children. so it's very, very complex it was not a straight it was a straight way when it was men mm-hmm. because for them, the call is automatic so they it's very complex, very mm-hmm. very very complex mm-hmm. and it is it's better. My time was harder. McKenna's time is is easier. But even when I talk to Anglican women, it's still very, very complex. You mm. know? And it's just because of your position in the family, what's going to happen to your children, to mm-hmm. your husband? So sometimes the women would come to the college with their
0: children. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the men just came. With, the <laughs> with their suitcase. <laughs> yeah. Am I getting it right that that is more your vision, is to set the table let all women in the church come and eat and say, Is this, is this for me? rather than having out of the blue to sense a calling and then prove it.
2: Yeah. Because for women, the woman has more loops to go. Through. Absolutely. Even by the time you can't just wake up, pack your suitcase and go, especially right. when you are a mother. Right. And then when you are a single woman, it's you have to get the money to go to study. Mm-hmm. All right. And because theological education was an investment, sometimes the churches never paid for, for the women or they mm. paid for the men alone. And all those complexities for my last 20 years in theological education or more than 20 years. I've seen all brands, Sure, yeah. brands where there's full support and brands where there is no support for women and brands where women get a quota, men get, this is a, is a, is a, is a market, it's, it's, it's maize and beans and whatever in, in one port, <laughs> it's everything goes. Oh, wow. And they also have women who have names either because of the patriarchal line, right? You have you have a name that you have come from a family that has a name that then nobody questions you are calling because there's a patriarchal name that people fear. So your calling is taken that is there. While for those that don't have names have a, a poor social background, they are not known. So who are you? The question of who are you? So what what is the name behind you? You know that kind of thing. That also complex complexifies. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Father.
0: Hey there, podcast listener. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you probably know that The Living Church is not just a podcast. Oh, no, my friend. TLC is a publishing ministry with a unique magazine, independent church news reporting, a stellar theology blog resources for parish ministry, many of them free. I could go on. Stop me now. Stop me now. We're rooted in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion, but we have a big heart for the unity of all God's people. You know that I love that you're here, but I don't want you to just stay in the podcast space and miss out on other ways our ministry might serve you. You can go to livingchurch.org and see what all TLC offers. How can we serve you today? One way we might serve you is coming up in September. We're hosting an event with an amazing community of friends at All Souls Episcopal Church in Oklahoma City, a conference called The Human Pilgrimage. What does it mean to be human? How do we live fully as creatures loved, limited, and liberated by God? Join the Living Church September 26th to 28th in Oklahoma City and be refreshed by three days of world-class keynotes, friendship, and meditation on who we are as creatures in Christ. Right now, you also get 15% off all tickets with the promo code EARLYBIRD. Go to livingchurch.org forward slash events for more information and to buy your tickets. And I hope to see you there. You know, it brings to mind just the character of God for me and how he delights in elevating people who who don't have the name, who don't have the money, who don't have the worldly veneer of being important or being successful or having power. And these are the very people, the women, someone who comes from an obscure family, God knows and God can elevate. And so this also seems to me, an exciting opportunity, like a frontier that these things are still being worked out. And it sounds like you said, very complex. And even in, Mm -hmm. even in an American context, sometimes I would observe my male colleagues in the way that ways that they were getting resourced or mentorships they were receiving or even Mm -hmm. money. And it was almost like someone put them in a car and put the seatbelt on them and then drove them to where they needed to go. And I just felt like I was kind of walking around, having to ask for directions to try to figure out what am I supposed to do next. So it sounds like there's still a similar theme, even in different places in the world, but that God is working and God is moving. The loops that they have had to pass to be where they are is a miracle. And only who
2: works miracles is God who works those miracles. No, not us,
0: yeah. That's right, that's right. And the character Mm -hmm. a lot of these women develop by having to go through those difficult circumstances Mm -hmm. is just Mm -hmm. extraordinary. And the humility Mm -hmm. is just extraordinary. If you
2: had the narratives of how women came to theological school and how they ended up being in the parish or in an institution, because having finished theological school doesn't mean that you'll have a parish I have mm-hmm, dioceses right. where many, many of the women are chaplains. They've been pushed to some high school or some hospital. That's mm-hmm. another thing. You can have your calling. You can have your training. Women grow in ministry in different ways. So you go to a, a... I'm not saying that chaplaincy is a lesser ministry, but I'm saying that there's a way in which it is done to be like a lesser ministry. Yes. That all, all these single women not married, they are pushed to. Chaplains is what is going on all right or even those that are in big parishes they are under senior clergy and they don't preach in the main services
0: yes they yes. really
2: preach on the side side services that tells you that the situation is complex so you can't say oh in that cathedral we have women priests but check which ministries are they doing
0: <laughs> right right yeah that's a great point thank you McKenna, can I ask you what your experience has been? So you're of a different generation than Esther. And as a Methodist, what have you seen in the Methodist church? Women of your generation, if someone feels a call, how do they find that path? Okay. i uh,
1: telling my own story. Uh, when I sent the call, first of all, I went to my parish priest, and I told him I have this calling, and uh, He told me, now you have to be examined by council of preachers who are mostly men. So I went there to be examined by council of preachers. And the first question they asked me, you are a single woman. What makes you think you will be appropriate for ministry? You have no family. If you're given a congregation to take care of and a counseling case comes on marital issues, how will you deal with them? And you you don't have any experience of that. Then the other question was, every question was about me as a woman and what will I do? Then they asked me, if you happen to get married in a different church, and according to our culture, it's the woman who goes to the man's place. So the man cannot come to our place. What will you do? Will you leave ministry and get married? So I felt so much intimidated. I, for, for, for I felt the the world is not fair, and but the question that I was asking. Then I was a kid. I was seventeen years old, and oh my asking, word! Yeah, oh. Then, <laughs> did I do anything wrong to be born as a woman? Like, being a woman <laughs> became so difficult. Being a woman in the church is so difficult as well because. When I was taken to ministries, then people started saying, I won't get married. You have power and authority as a minister. And any powerful woman who has authority, no man would like to have them. Mm-hmm. So you can see the patriarchal a kind of construction running across the church. Then I, when I went to school and, of course, interested in gender studies, Mombo becomes my mentor. And everybody's like, "Now if Esther Mombo is your mentor, you do it. No one is married. You feminists are against men. Oh no. So you see, I can get labels. I, I lost a, a lot of male friends I'm because sorry. of identifying as a feminist. But then my, my calling is on that side. That is this is what God called me to do, whether I have friends or not. Therefore, being a woman, even today, it is very hard to navigate in ministry. We have struggled on women leadership till to date. A woman, like a, for instance, in our church, if you are a woman, you're not posted in parishes which you'll get enough money. How you are even uh, given stipend is not the same as how men are, are, are appreciated. So you find that we are In the same ministry, we might be doing more than men, but then how men are treated in ministry is different from how women are treated. Mm. Like, uh, for instance, where I'm serving today, no man will come to ask me for anything. They will go to my boss who is a man, regardless of us being ministers, both of us. So it's still a struggle to be a woman
0: and in ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, this reminds me, I have a theory that when a woman begins to find her place in God, that it makes the devil really angry. There's a particular fear that the enemy has of women who are empowered for ministry and for life in God. Women get attacked and things are made more difficult Mm -hmm. for them. This is just a subtle example, but even in my own context, I had a, a job at a church some years ago. And I wanted to ask for a raise. I wasn't sure that I was making enough. And I asked one of my male colleagues how much he made. And he looked at me with horror and he said, well, I'm not allowed to tell you that. And I said, why? It's just money. And he said, well, we signed in our contracts, we made an agreement that we would never reveal our salaries to one another. And I said, what? I don't remember that. And I didn't remember it. I guess it was in our contracts. But even though there's nothing explicitly sexist about that, the result is that female staff members cannot ever compare what they make in a comparable job with a male staff member. And something like that is very important. Or a staff member of color with a white staff member. They can never compare and say, am I making an equal wage? And so that's that's just a subtle example, but... I want to bring up the topic of money now that we're here and you both have already mentioned it. The three things that are so important in the journey of anyone in ministry, but for women, finding the money, finding the mentors, and then finding the jobs. Are there any systems in place that helped either of you do this or did God just need to provide one thing at a time? Was it systemic or was it catch as catch can? I would say for me, it's just a miracle that I'm where I am because
2: I didn't have the funding. I didn't have the, the financial muscle. I didn't have a support. I didn't have, I had my grandmother and my poor father and mother and lots of siblings to take care of. but. I can say I went out by faith, and my grandmother was always like, God will provide. And for some reason, God provided basically that I managed to finish my theological training. And I do remember at some point that uh, it is other women who then helped me to get a grant to to study and to finish. And when I finished, I didn't have a job, partly because. The system with which I had come in had disintegrated and this what what job are you going to do right and so first I, went, I go back to I go back to teaching and then that is how I then move into theological teaching I can tell you I was in theological teaching and did not know that I needed first I didn't have a house and people of my generation will tell you housing was one of those things to see and then one provide and I can tell you for like seven years or seven or eight years, I lived from one house to another. Mm. And the re- basic reason was they can't give me a house because they cannot police me. It was just, you are single, so you are this loose cannon. You may bring the church to disrepute. And it is still the same even today, but in different ways. Hmm. So that's, So housing was one of the things, and I can tell you that the other woman I wanted us to, to do the interview, who is a bishop now, that housing was an issue. If you got a house, you got the seventh quarter of the main church or the main school, so you are in the smallest of the smallest. So housing is an issue. Two, you didn't know what contract is signed. Or sometimes people never even told you there was a contract to sign or how much money you would get or what allowances you would get. So there was this shroud of darkness about salary Ugh. and how much is how much. And I can tell you that I worked for four years just to realize my colleagues were getting what they called hospitality allowance, which I never got because I didn't have a family. Ugh. <laughs> and somebody else was saying, but we all take tea in our house. Yeah. So how can that that is new? And if you are salary, then you are feminist. It's mm-hmm. like... You, you should be grateful that there is even a place to, to whatever. So you never knew what, and then you, because we are socialized not to think high of ourselves, you never asked you are serving God. Correct. and they took advantage of that. It's and a so sacrifice. That, that it. you should you should yeah, be ready to make a sacrifice. And in fact, you are even lucky you have in this in this place. That has changed now, but it's still, Note, women still would ask for basic housing rights. And I can tell you, when I came to teach in a a seminary, people still thought that I needed the smallest house in the compound is what they'd give you, but the big house would be locked because the family would come. Mm -hmm. So being single even makes it even worse. Because it's like being single, you don't have a life. Even if we are now it's 20 years later, there are still, there are still uh, things like that that women go through. The shroudness of salary, the basic. Do you need a house or your husband should house you? But if then you are not being a husband, then where do you stay? There's this, the policing of women's bodies, and especially when they are single, it is still a big, big thing. Because it's like you bring shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. to the church. Mm-hmm. And if one sister does that, then it becomes like the headline news. Mm-hmm. But many men do lots of strange things, but they are just transferred from one parish to, to another or one space to another, you know. So the, the genderedness of, of work, the the ways in which uh, there is the, the silence around money, and those women then say, no, I want to know. Then you are branded this. Fighter, this feminists, this because all you are asking is your basic rights in ministry, mm-hmm. but then you are branded to be whatever. And then there is the so the mobility. So sometimes, do they? If you are married to a clergyman, do they promote your husband or do they promote you? So there are good women who are not promoted because then what is the husband going to feel? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And you have to protect his ego at all costs. Ego, yes. it's you to sacrifice.
2: At, at, at all cost, and 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 women will tell you how they have a parish, a full time parish, a full time housework, a full time, a full time, and that you can't complain. You you know it. You're supposed to do it, do it gladly. Hmm. So the exploitation,
0: but also especially of the single women, it's it's horrendous. horrendous. All of the, many of these concerns that are brought to the table strike me. And I know strike you as false concerns. They're straw men, they're false questions. And specifically one that comes to mind as a false question is this question about if I give you a promotion and not your husband, won't your husband be offended or jealous or how will he feel? But you both know that if there's a man who wants to marry a woman, who's in a position of power, he's probably not going to be the kind of man whose ego is easily offended. You know, he's probably going to be someone with a strong character. So that just strikes me as an example of a false question that just comes from a place of ignorance. You just don't know what it is to be a woman. You don't know what it's like to be in the position of someone single looking for a job in ministry. And so you make assumptions about what that other person needs and about what they don't need that are unfair. So my final question for both of you, if you could create a dream plan, a vision for empowering women who feel a call to ministry, what would that look like? So to go back to my metaphor of a car, if you, if a woman says, I feel called and you could put them in the car, strap on the seatbelt and send them along this path, of discernment, money, mentorship, resourcing, getting them jobs, encouragement, whatever it may be, what would your vision look like?
1: I will tell my fellow women to break the glass ceiling. Go for what you believe for. If you believe that it is God who called you, then God will provide in miraculous ways. God has provided for women before. Mm. God has not changed. Mm -hmm. God will provide. Then don't listen to naysayers. Don't be limited by societal constructions or the things that people call norms of the society. Be you, do you, do great. And this is what God desires of all of us. Finally, to everybody, let us see women as human beings. We are all human, and this is what God sees us as. God doesn't put the dichotomy between men and women when he calls. Mm. He calls his children, and he gives us equal chances and opportunities to serve him. So our God is a God of love, and what we should preach to the people and do is love. And I say again, the story of God is the story of love. What unites us together is our humanity, which is the common denominator.
2: Yeah, mm. thank you. Thank you so much. I would say that first and foremost, I'd want this woman to have all the information about the, the, the college, about the, the calling, about the training, about the prospects, about the roots of what the training is. So I'd want them to have all the information. Mm. The information should be about money, about housing, about travel, about family,
3: mm-hmm.
2: if they are family. So information is key. Just arm them with the information. This information is going to be empowering for them to ask, to be inquisitive, not to be embarrassed to ask. So ask. I'll say ask. Ask have the information. Two, I'll say that be a free bird what you are learning in terms of the theological education you are learning. Don't leave yourself out, bring yourself in that field. So don't be be given a package to open, but create the theology as you go. Listen to what you are taught and interpret and apply it. And then three, Have this freedom of exploring, right? Don't just be told this is what parish is. Explore Mm -hmm. whether you want to be in the parish or you want to be in an institution. Get all the skills that you need. Because the CV of a woman is read twice or three times Mm. than the CV (laughs) of a man. Mm -hmm.
3: I'll
2: tell them your CV is going to be read this way. So arm yourself with all the skills. That you want and add them into your CV, make your CV rich, shock them with your CV, mm, mm. right? And don't be afraid to ask, How much am I going to pay? What am I just get to know they are giving me a job? You know, what are my terms and conditions? It's not God giving me a job, it's them. Mm-hmm. So they should answer all the, the questions. I'll tell the women, uh, Do not fear. To, to apply for your promotion. If they, if they open a place for applications, put in your application. If it means talking to somebody needing to go up, talk to them. So don't shy off from lobbying and from advocacy. That's what all the men do. They lobby and advocate for each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And have your sisters with you. Mm-hmm. Don't go it alone. But when we go it alone, then when they want to destroy you, they destroy you. But if they want to destroy you and you are in community, they will not. Because if I had gone alone, I would not be serving the church today. Mm. But I ensured that I had a community of women of my age, of the younger age, and now of the McKenna's, Mm -hmm. that you have to mentor others. Don't come alone. Let Let them say, oh, you are going to be like Esther. They should be like me by offering their shoulders for others to stand. And secondly, is to point this woman to other married women who have succeeded in ministry. Yeah. That there are women who have succeeded. There are women whose husbands have not bothered about their rising up or whatever. They are there. There are few, but they are there. Mm -hmm. Use them as examples and say so-and-so is an example. She was in ministry. She became the bishop. And the husband hasn't uh, uh, run away; he's still there. But also, I want this woman to be aware of the gender, sexual, and gender-based violence that is in this institution.
3: Hmm.
2: I don't want them to be uh, to, to be shocked, but mm-hmm. I want to say, like my grandmother said, "This is a place of jackets." What she meant. Is more than just jackets. It's a place where you can be manipulated, you can be exploited, you can yeah. be oppressed. I want her to know this institution, there are people who are great saints. And to bring you down, they'll only use your body. They'll mm. abuse you emotionally, they'll abuse you sexually, they'll abuse you. Uh, uh, psychological. I want her to be aware that you are coming into a space of human beings, as my grandmother told me. When she said that, when I saw violence, I realized, oh, that's what she meant by it's a place of jackets, it's a place of jostling power.
3: Mm-hmm. So I
2: want to say, Do you know what? I'll tell her, don't fear power. Use it, appropriate it, <laughs> and use it. Don't run away from power. I know you mm-hmm. are socialized not to, to fear power, but in this space, don't fear it. Use it you are good and the good of other, other sisters. So have allies, have brothers, have sisters that you trust that you can, you can stand on. And if you fall, you can rise again. Men fall all the times. We don't even see where they fall. <laughs> but when women fall once, it's like the end. No, you fall and you, 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 rise, you rise up. Seek help. Don't, don't, don't pretend. Just be yourself. Mm. and trust God who has called you and God will lead you. It it, is not going to be rosy, but it's God who has called you. These men and women haven't called you, all right? I would say theological education, when there is opportunity, study as much as you can, so long as your brain is still there. Mm. And especially in this context, study, because that is the paper you can sell. So So I I I will put a very tight safety belt, and then I'll drive (laughs) and hand.
0: <laughs> you'd give them a safety belt you'd give them a road map you'd give them a yes. gps you'd give them money yes. for food on the road yes.
2: Yes. Yes. Yes.
3: Yes.
0: Yes. 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 thank you both so much for this word of encouragement and empowerment and mm-hmm. giving specific examples of how that's working in your context the future of of what is of what god is doing and what he's going to do and i know this is going to resonate into multiple cultural contexts as well i've been speaking today with mckenna jacqueline and dr esther mambo esther mckenna thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having us and look forward to see what comes out of it thank you thanks for tuning in to the living church podcast a ministry of the living church institute in two weeks come right back here we will have two brothers both priests, one in the Episcopal Church, one in the Anglican Church in North America. I sit them down, ask them about their journeys, their decisions, about Christian unity and how it affects their ministries, and about whether they ever fight about theology. Are Thanksgiving's peaceful or not? An ecumenical Anglican experiment in a family. Tune in. Until then, our producer is Leslie Thompson. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.